Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Today we meet Glenn Folting. Following a short stint in the Australian Army, Glenn studied international business and law at QUT in Brisbane. After completing his studies, Glenn and his wife Kirsten headed to London for what was supposed to be a two-year stint working for the international law firm Allen & Overy. Those initial two years eventually became an 18-year career in banking and finance, spent in private practice and in-house, and included postings to Tokyo, Hong Kong and Singapore. Along the way, Glenn and Kirsten acquired four children, one dog, and a lifetime of memories with friends in places that stretched from New York to Ulaanbaatar, Kuala Lumpur to Paris, and Cairo to Reykjavik. Having recently returned to Australia with his family, Glenn is currently enjoying a more settled life in Brisbane, where he and Kirsten have established their own law firm. What I'm keen to hear from Glenn is how do you go from the hub to the spoke? How do you take a legal career in financial services in the hub of Singapore to a practice in Brisbane? So welcome, Glenn. Delighted to have you with us today. Where are we chatting with you? Hi, Margo. Right now we're in in Chapel Hill in Western Brisbane, just on the the foothills of Mount Cutha. So it's nice and green, not quite as sunny as it normally is, but still quite pleasant outside. Lovely. Good spring day, I'm sure. So, Glenn, before we hear about life overseas, can you take us back to what life was like pre-London? And I guess, were there any sort of early indicators that you were about to embark upon a global journey that you um, ultimately did? Oh, well, um, it goes back quite a long way, I think, Margot. That's uh, (laughs) part of the story. Um, In in many respects, um, my entire life has been a, a a journey to some degree. Uh, even growing up, my family moved around a bit in Victoria. And so the idea of moving and relocating for work and, and just the concept of actually being mobile was something that was always part of our family experience. Mm-hmm. Um, after leaving uh, high school, I, I joined the Army for six years. And again, that's very much a mobile lifestyle. You'd go to one post and to the next, and that's very much part of the, the expected experience. And so. Um, the idea of travelling with work was really not such a, a foreign concept for me. It was pretty much part of why I expected life to entire. Um, and really for us, after we qualified for Kirsten and I, we had a choice of either going to, to Sydney or, or further afield. And we really came down to, well, if we're going to leave Brisbane, if we're going to travel, let's go as far as we can and, and see where that takes <laughs> us. And that, that pretty well pushed us to, to London, particularly that time when London was taking as many Australian lawyers as they could get their hands on. Mm, great. So it's very much in your DNA to move um, for you both. So you arrive in London. This is essentially your first legal job. Can you paint the picture of what life in London was like? Well, it's. I think for for all Australians, it's always a bit of a, a shock to to land in London, particularly during the winter time. We arrived in February, and our 
first day to work, we were on the northern line. If, if anybody knows London, they know what that means. We were pushed up against the edge of the carriage. It was cold. It was dark. It was wet. We've got, I was hunched over against the wall, and Curse and I looked at each other and thought, two years of this, what have we done? What were we thinking? Uh, and it went downhill from there, I think. So no, actually, no. It was actually, it was actually uh, a, a wonderful experience. And the first 12 months of adjusting was a real a real challenge in, in many respects. The hours we were working were just horrendous. Um, it, it was quite un- quite common for us to be billing uh, 60 hours a week and spending um, mm. yeah, 9, 10 o'clock at night in the office. And, and my, my favourite story about our time in London was, was Kirsten working. We were both working in the same law firm, although at different ends of the building, so we wouldn't see each other during the day. <laughs> I saw Kirsten Monday morning when we shared a taxi into the office. Uh, the next time I saw Kirsten was two days later when I was outside of our house waiting for a taxi and Kirsten turned up in a, in, a, in a cab wearing the same clothes that she'd been wearing Monday morning and she'd been in the office for 48 hours straight mm. and she came home to get changed to go back in to complete the transaction that she was working on. And that that was something of an extreme example. But uh, the fact that that wasn't um, out of out of, sort of you know, the realm of possibility was sort of really says a lot about the, the work environment. And I, I've, mm. I've been thinking about the... The current environment where we are working from home and so the transitions that people are going through, uh, both professionally and also personally around that. And I, I think back to the time in London in, in 2000 and 2001 where to get comfortable with the idea of spending most of the week, most of my waking time in, in the office, I had to approach the office as being part of my, my home. I, I felt that this, there wasn't a separation between the home and the office. This was part of my home. And, and I think back, I, I could get my head around working um, 90 hours a week if I thought about the office as being my home. And, and that might be a bit of a sad reflection on where we were, but that was the only way that I could get comfortable, the fact that I'd get to work at 8 o'clock in the morning and I would be leaving yeah. at 10 o'clock at night. And, I, and that would just be expected and I'd just sort of deal with it. Mm. I think the culture of working in London when you first arrive there can can feel very relentless. You know, it's um, it's something that you kind of just clock into and and go 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 go. The actual, I think the actual Aussie transition to London is overall though is relatively quite easy. The everything's mm. fairly familiar. Everything kind of works the way you expect it to work. Most of the terms are the same, and so you do. I think Aussies do sort of fit in quite well and. And in 2000, in London, in, in the UK, the place was falling apart. They, they were sort of going through a bit of a rough patch. Uh, the Aussies were killing them in the cricket. You know, the trains were breaking down. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a good time to be an Aussie in London yeah. in 2000. I, yeah. I that. But I think, I think we I, had the rugby and the cricket for, um, World Cup, didn't we, in 99? Yes, and we absolutely. came out on top in both. <laughs> so exactly right. it was a good time. <laughs> we, we were walking tall, looking good. There's no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> and I think I think just generally Australians have a good reputation, in, particularly in London, which is this, this can-do mm. attitude, this willing, willingness to sort of take responsibility and a reputation of competency, really. We, people would, mm. would know you give it to an Aussie, they were going to do a good job with it. And that's... Um, it says a lot about our, our culture and our, our, our country, I think. Mm, absolutely. So you lay the foundations for your career, really, in the first two years in London. And then um, I think, you know, it became pretty apparent that you were on a bit of a global path. You, you had an opportunity to arise in Tokyo. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, part of my degree, this international business degree involved, um, 
a language component. So I did Japanese as part of my uh, university degree. Mm. And the capital markets team in London were looking for a capital markets lawyer in, in Tokyo. I sort of put my hand up for that. And it was sort of funny, it took the firm 12 months to from the point of saying, okay, Glenn, you can go to actually putting me on a plane. And by that time, Chris and I had made a bit of a home for ourselves in London and we thought, oh, actually, I'm not sure we really want to go. Um, but nevertheless, we went and, and in, in, in many respects, working as a lawyer in Tokyo uh, was essentially sort of the pinnacle of, of my sort of career in terms of aspiration. When I started mm. out doing law and, and studying Japanese, the idea of working as a lawyer in Japan is essentially sort of the, the goal that you're striving towards. Uh, we went via London, but... It's it's a little bit surreal to be sort of sitting in, uh, mm. in in a boardroom in in Tokyo discussing um, you know, billion dollar transactions. Uh, thinking, well, actually, yeah, I've I've made it. This is kind of where I wanted to be. So you do a couple of years in Tokyo, and then you you've kind of reached this crossroads that you could go back to London or you make a decision to go in house. I think was was sort of the preface that you arrived at, or the juncture you arrived at. Yeah, yes, look, very much, and and I think. And it sort of comes back to our discussions about um, the expat journey and, and the path you're on and, and how difficult it is to come backwards. And, and that was the case even for the expats living and working in, in not only in Tokyo but in Asia as well. And that a couple of years in the Far East was seen as an advantage. But too long there would, would be seen as a disadvantage in terms of your career. Mm-hmm. So after three years of common in Tokyo, it, was, it came down to a choice of going back to London with Alan and Overy or finding a role in Tokyo and and then it was really came down to well okay what was I facing back in in London and that was a, a, yeah, a partnership potential but a very hard road uh, with no no sort of genuine no sort of guarantee of a successful outcome and just a hellish five to ten years ahead of me yeah and, <laughs> uh, I thought wow um I really like being in Japan. There's sort of a great environment, great a great buzz that sort of goes on in Tokyo. That just it's just exhilarating. And so we decided because I stayed with Alan over in in Tokyo, and I moved in house to Bear Stearns. So how long did you have in Tokyo before Hong Kong came on the the rise? So it was one more year in Tokyo. So it was four years in total. And by that stage, we were ready to look for other opportunities. So. Uh, and that's the thing about, I'm sure a lot of other expats have the same experience, that you, you don't really have a plan. You, you, you sort of, mm. you just take opportunities as they present themselves. You might keep an eye out for where things are going and which way the wind's blowing, but it's more of a case of recognising opportunities when they when they present themselves and, and, and following them and, and seeing where they take you. And and that was the case with Bear Stearns. They were looking to expand their office in Hong Kong. They didn't have any legal staff down there. And so I mm-hmm. put up my hand to, to move down into uh, into Hong Kong. So how how long were you in Hong Kong for? Well, Hong Kong was three years, and that by that stage, uh, so that was two thousand and eight, um, and everything was going gangbusters and, and, until it wasn't. Um, yeah. Although I, I do recall some of the smarter guys in Bear Stearns had seen the writing on the wall, and. Um, there were conversations being had early in 2008 where people were going, yeah, what's happening is mm. um, the subprime market was getting a bit silly and, and I think the, sort of, the smart money had already seen where things were going. But um, so 2008, JP Morgan bought out 
best chance, and best chance was um, the first big casualty of, of the GFC. And so we were sort of bought by, forced actually uh, to be sort of sold to, to JP Morgan as a means of stopping us from going broke. And I had that mm. surreal, as, as this is the only last remaining lawyer in town for Bear Stearns, I was asked to stay on. And I had that surreal Cohen Brothers experience where yeah. um, two months earlier, this what had been a, a buzzing trading floor with, with all sorts of different activities going on, to being an, an entire empty floor of this city yeah. building skyscraper with myself and my receptionist sitting in our desk by ourselves and nothing else in the floor. And it was just, it was just one of those funny kind of experiences. Eerie. It just the area. Yeah. So it comes to a natural end, and is that when Singapore comes onto the radar? Or yes, and, and it's um, coming back to this point about being a, an expat and really just rolling with the punches a bit and taking the opportunities as they present themselves. Um, one of the smarter guys from Bear Stearns left Bear Stearns at the start of two thousand and eight and went across to Standard Chartered eventually. Uh, which is a big UK bank but has a big uh, emerging markets presence. And they had been largely untouched by the GFC and at the same time were looking to build out their financial markets and investment banking capabilities. So there's um, some heavy um, hitting Bear Stearns people and Lehman Brothers people came into Standard Chartered and they swept up a lot of their ex-colleagues and, and loaded us into, into Standard Chartered. So um, in the midst of... of um, the GFC, there's the Standard Chartered Lifeboat with a whole bunch of um, Bear Stearns and, and Lehman Brother alumni. Okay. So you um, you head down to Singapore. You've got three kids, I think, three by now. Three kids by now. Uh, yeah. As a, as a souvenir, we'd like to collect a child in every every location. <laughs> every country. Get, yeah. <laughs> You're collecting the different birth certificates. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We had to put them on the wall. Um, so we had, we had twins in Hong Kong and my wife, Kirsten, can tell some great stories about having kids in different in different locations and different cultures and the different languages involved in the way of doing things. Yeah, so, I can imagine. So we get to get to Singapore at the end of 2008 with three young children and we kind of were actually we were wondering why we hadn't made the move earlier. We just love Singapore. Yeah. Hong Kong mm. Hong Kong is uh, very much a sort of almost a younger person's um, city. It's 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 very dynamic, it's very sophisticated, it's a bit more of an out a sort of nightlife kind of experience, a bit glitzy, whereas Singapore is a bit more of a smaller town, a lot more families. People go there, they stay there for a long time. Um, and we we loved it and we, we sort of found ourselves making a home in Singapore. We had another child, yeah, yeah. Just for the souvenir. <laughs> for the souvenir. Complete, yeah, complete the set. <laughs> and, uh, and years just ticked by before we knew that it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, so you you've um, you had ten years in Singapore, so it was very much home for a long time. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and I mean, I'm interested. How did how do your children regard their upbringing? You know, they've got very much a global um, global childhood. Well, that was the thing, um, and and it's it's one of the things that kind of reinforces my decision to come back, or our decision, I should say, to, to come back to Australia, and that they saw themselves as they they were developing English accents because they were going to an English mm-hmm. international school. They had Australian passports, but they, most of them were born in different countries. And mm. so people, a very Australian um, question would be, oh, where are you from? And, and our, kids, our kids couldn't really answer that question. They didn't really know how to, oh, well, I was born one place, I live here, and I'm, I'm, I'm from somewhere else altogether. And um, they didn't really belong anywhere. And although Singapore was their home, they saw the world through a, a, a British lens in many respects because mm-hmm. that was their education system. And so moving to Australia was, was a was a big move for them. They they 
struggled to know, to name the Australian states. Uh, we obviously had been back for holidays and various other sort of places, but for them, Australia was a holiday destination. It, it wasn't anything Not a home. like that. And mm. um, we came back. Uh, Actually, not long before the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, and so the kids, the kids went to the beach volleyball, and, and Singapore were playing, and so they had this, they had Singapore shirts on. They bagged from Singapore, <laughs> very uh, very English um, home county accents, and so it was all a bit strange. But um, yeah, yeah, seeing seeing them sort of develop, it hasn't taken them long to put down roots. I have to say, in, in Australia, it's only been sort of two and a bit years. But they're Aussies now. They they still have a bit of an English clip to their accent, but I can see them developing a, a sense of who they are in the world as being Australians and, and what that means. And 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 when they leave school, and, and I'm sure they'll they'll be scattered to the four corners of the globe, and, and they will always have a very strong uh, sense that the world's not a very big place, and and it's, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal to go from one end to the other. But at least I have a, a sense of where they belong in the world, and I think that's kind of important. To sort of this, yeah, absolutely. Just, it's all very well being a global citizen, but I think it's just as equally important to to have a sense of a sense of place beyond simply a, a passport. This, it's important to have a sort of a, mm, a, a sense of grounding. Sort of, yeah, absolutely, a, sort of a, a place where you belong. Mm, fabulous. So, in two thousand and eighteen, you decide. We're going to jump off the expat train and um, head back to Brisbane. It was always going to be Brisbane. No, no, it wasn't. Kirsten has Kirsten has dual citizenship, and so we could have gone back to the UK fairly easily. There was some, and, and again, going back to sort of the expat mindset of, of really sort of taking opportunities, and, and there's always a bit of a leap of faith in those mm. sorts of decisions. You don't really know how things are going to play out. We had spent ten years in Singapore. I was becoming stale. I, I needed a change. We felt if we didn't make a change now, uh, our kids were at the sort of stage of school where if it wasn't that year, it was probably never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and I also say I think um, working in, in, uh, in-house, there is a, sort of a certain age at which you start to become aware of the fact that there aren't many other 50-plus colleagues around the place. You realise actually mm-hmm. you need to start looking at um, sort of an exit plan. And so we decided, well, okay, let's do it on our terms. And given a choice, we had either go back to Australia or, or go to the UK. We um, weren't entirely sure how things were going to play out, and we felt that, look, the worst-case scenario, if we go broke, standing on the beach in Queensland being broke was better than standing in some field in Surrey and being broke. And that was really the choice. Of, okay, like, <laughs> You'd be warmer. Be, yeah, exactly. It would be, be a nicer place to be broke. And so we, we decided to come back to um, Australia and – it's been the best decision we could have made. Really, um, the work-wise, it probably would have been an easier transition in London. Actually, not probably, almost certainly, given the sort of the experiences that we had, and which comes back to sort of your question at the start in terms of sort of moving from um, international finance to a place like Brisbane. But in every single other respect of our lives, being in Brisbane has been the best possible choice. It's just been, yeah. the kids are thriving, um, life is easy, and and we sort of discussed this a little bit amongst ourselves about. There was probably a billion people in the world who'd give the right arm to be living in Brisbane if they had a choice. The, mm. The, mm. Yeah, the community, the safety, the, the the services that are available, the all the kind of stuff that, that comes with being um, an Australian and living in Australia. We can't complain too much about the things that are different from the way we used to live because, in so many other respects, it's been great. So we haven't haven't regretted it in any way, but it is a big jump and. I don't think I would change the way we've, we did it, to be honest. I think it, it's, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, great. 
I remember in one of our earlier conversations, I mean, you made a comment where you said, you know, for years our family and friends would say, oh, look, one day you're going to have to come back to reality. And you said what I came to realise is we had to change our reality. And that was in light of jumping off the expat train, so to speak. How did you arrive at that juncture? And like, what was it that you were seeking to create in the new reality? Uh, it, it, it is. It is it, you're exactly right. There's people sort of, particularly living in places like Singapore where you have domestic help and um, you don't go to the Gold Coast for a holiday, you, you go to Thailand or, or Vietnam or, and all that kind of stuff. And it, it is a little bit surreal, especially on standing in Australia. You look at that sort of activity and you think, oh, that's a bit surreal. But again, it's no different from the way people live in Europe and they go, if you're mm. in London, you go mm. to Germany for a holiday, you go to Switzerland for yeah. a holiday. It's, it's a long weekend. It's not a big deal. In Australia, we, we have a, a funny view of the world because of the distances evolved in our own circumstances. Mm. But, yeah, that that becomes your reality. And, and after 18 years of overseas, we, we Australia wasn't our home anymore. Even for Kirsten and myself, we, we didn't see Australia as being home. We'd come back here, and in many ways it was a bit like when we first went to London. It, it was a bit familiar. We understood how things worked. But people would talk about things that we didn't understand. We didn't know what people were yeah. talking about. It was a very different, a little bit sort of um, uh, unsettling. Where you think, well, actually, I, I don't belong here anymore. But mm. and and I think this is the, particularly for the long term expat community. There is this. You do have this reality, and this becomes your day to day life. But in the background, there's a there's a precariousness to it that is it's never really spoken about. It's never really um, factored into your day to day life, but it's there in the background, and um, mm. in a number, and it manifests in, a, in itself in a number of different ways. Um, for example, in Singapore, they have a very tough drugs policy. So, if one of your teenagers gets caught with marijuana, the entire family is out of the country within twenty four hours. Mm. Mm. It's um, if you have a, a, a traffic accident with a with a local. It's probably you're not probably going to be believed in terms of your testimony of what happened. Even the Singapore mm. is, is is fantastic in many ways. There is still a, a, a favour given to locals over over sort of foreigners, um, and and Singapore is is a great place to be. There there are many jurisdictions where they're even more precarious in terms of the expat experience. And so there's this always this yes, this is our reality, reality, and 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 this is our home. This is where we live. We can buy buy our apartment and, and all that kind of stuff. But at your back of your mind, there's always this awareness that you're a guest here and, and, and one day this is going to come to an end and what happens. And and when we said that, look, to our friends, look, we're going to go home or back, we're going to leave, we're going to go to Australia um, because being in Singapore, um, it's expensive, we, we need a change, we need to sort of start preparing for us for our longer-term future. And it was a surprising or amazing how many of our friends and colleagues express similar conversations and similar sort of discussions that they've been having around the dinner table. Mm. And so it's kind of funny. There's sort of this the everyday reality, which is rock solid, but you're back yeah. in your mind, you're going like there's... There's always. Big, yeah. Um, you lose your job in Singapore. You, if you're not a permanent resident, you, you have to leave the country within six weeks. Um, yeah. Well, it's a big issue at the moment for a lot of expats who are sitting over, overseas. So, yeah. Yeah. So you, a very you, different hard reality. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so coming back to Australia for us was in some ways sort of a, a bit of relief. We kind of like a, you know, this back to home base, back to sort of back home. But on one level, the other level, it was that this wasn't our home anymore. And we mm. 
we were a little bit sad about the idea that our grand adventure was coming to an end. And, mm. and the way we sort of got comfortable with that was to frame our move as not so much as of coming home as, as to moving to Australia. And it sounds a bit, mm. it's a bit corny. It's almost like well, kind of you're, you're being a bit semantic, but um, on, on many emotional levels, it was a new country. We, we, we yeah, were coming, coming to a new place. Twenty, uh, best part of twenty years had, had gone past. Everybody mm-hmm. that we knew had moved on. Um, there were there were um, football players who were in primary school when we left. Who were yeah, sort of having their final year before retirement when we got back. There was like this whole <laughs> this whole generation yeah. of generation of people, yeah had gone through and so moved and what have you. Um, yeah, and it's and it's very difficult to retain a sense of legitimacy of of your experience when you. You can't share that with anybody. And then you start saying, well, I was saying this to my friends the other day. I was like, well, that's right. I used to live in Hong Kong. I, I lived in Hong Kong for three years. But yeah. it all seems a bit ethereal and a bit sort of dreamlike now, um, which is kind of a bit, a bit, a bit of a funny. It's, it can be quite discombobulating, I think, you know, um, how word? that really you're just trying to reconcile it all, all the time in your own in your own mind so you arrive back in Australia um you know I've heard people talk about they get off the plane they're struck by you know the intensity of light or things what oh, were yes. some of the things that 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 struck you um like you know at a everyday level oh the light it's funny you should mention that because I particularly coming from Asia where it's always a bit hazy it's always a bit cloudy and you get off the plane in Brisbane and everything glows. The, 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 the light is so strong, the air is so clear, everything just glows and it, it's quite striking. And, and I'm still actually, even a couple of years later, I'm still struck sometimes by the clarity of the air here. Uh, I don't think it's too strong to use the word grief in terms of the emotional journey that we were going through mm. when we came back and we, we realised that it was permanent. This is where we're going to be. And and yeah, to put this into context, we were standing on the beach at Burley Heads. We were having a beautiful holiday. Just yeah, you know, it was just glorious. But we were grieving our lost life, and, and particularly Kirsten found it difficult. I think I think if you're the if you're the person who's sort of tasked with sort of going out into the community and sort of and and, and working, sometimes I think it's a bit easier if you're the sort of the person at home. There are other distractions, and I think it, perhaps it's a little bit different a little bit more difficult to sort of to come to terms with this sort of changes a, a little bit. Yeah, nevertheless, it, it, it was a, a feeling of grief a little bit. And it was made a little bit more difficult because, as with a lot of people, expats transitioning back to Australia, you've got the school year to adjust to. Yeah, that, yeah. Six months out of sync adds that extra layer of stress in terms of, sort of timing when mm. having you to take the kids out early or or you bring them back early. And, it, and, 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 and that's sort of a difficult thing to do. And so we, we brought the kids back early to start the school year, at the start of the year, and I didn't finish up until June, so I was commuting backwards and forwards. Um, we had kids in two different schools here in, in Brisbane. Um, mm. Kirsten had been cut off from all her friends and all the life we'd have known for the last sort of 18 years, especially 10 years in Singapore. You know, banks had plopped down in, in the, sort of the western suburbs of Brisbane. There you go, yeah, sort of get on with it. And mm. it's... Um, the furniture hadn't arrived, and so we were cursing sitting in this empty yeah. house. The kid was sleeping on blow-up mattresses and the whole whole shebang. And, and we'd sort of laugh a little bit about it. It's not like Banjo Patterson's the driver's wife thing. It's not like she's fighting off snakes in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> the kid's on the dinner table, but, yeah, it's, no, it's a hard It's, it's got a its hard, own challenge, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's, got, it's got its hard challenges. And, and it took us 
it took us a long time to feel like we were had made our new home for ourselves. And, and the other thing, the other aspect for us that became apparent was in the expat community, when you're moving around and you go to a new city, um, everyone's very welcoming because you're the new people mm. that's been through that experience. And hey, the new, you're the new person. And so, yeah, I'll take you around. I'll show you all the all the sites and get you to meet people. And you become that the system is geared up to towards bringing new people, new into arrivals. The yes. Um, although after ten years in Singapore, we were sort of getting a bit past that. But certainly in every other location, it's very much a similar case of that experience. And so you, you arrive back in in Australia where you don't have that quite that high turnover of, of, of community, and people are more settled. It's a bit alienating. You if you, you mm. just go to the it's very isolating. It is very very isolating, um, and and it it takes a while. Even the kids sort of find it funny. They all of a sudden you go from being in a in a community where I think one of our daughters at one stage was going to go to twelve different countries in in, in twelve months. You come back to a to a community where some kids don't even have passports at all, and so mm. their their world is turned upside down as well as everybody else's. Yes, and so it's a bit strange, but. Yeah, we we adapt, and that's that's, yeah. I think that's sort of a hallmark of people who do embrace the expat lifestyle. Is that 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 change and that ability to adapt is a bit stressful, but at the same time, we we kind of we seek it out a little bit. We kind yeah. of we're kind of a bit masochistic in that sense that we 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 yeah that that's part of change and that's part of the mm. joy is that this is new and this is another thing I'm going to overcome, and it's it is a bit stressful, it's a bit lonely, but you know that's that's. What you t- what you what gets you going? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I'm interested in, I guess, the final adaptation that you've got at the moment, or you've made at the moment, which is the adaptation professionally back in Brisbane. So you and Kirsten have started your own uh, law law firm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So yes, we both we both qualified in Brisbane, mm-hmm. and and this is where we trained. And even though most of our uh, our classmates are now. You know, either partners or judges or whatever it is, they so well, well and truly sort of left us behind. You know, we had this sort of, you know, this great experience and these great skills that, that, that we can kind of bring mm. to bear. And so we came home and we looked around and, and sort of explored a couple of different options. And we realised that actually playing to our strengths is really the, the best thing that we can be doing. And so mm. we set up Arenberg Legal. Um, we're just a, a general commercial law firm. We, we mm-hmm. provide uh, a fairly broad range of legal services. And, and at the same time, we also recognise that there's a lot of opportunity to um, make use of the skills and the contacts and the experience we had from our overseas travels. And so we're sort of developing now an extension of the legal practice to, to support our international businesses coming into Australia. Yeah. And we, we know particularly how difficult it is to set up businesses remotely from overseas. And, and that was part of my role in, in Singapore was to help the bank do that. So I, I have a very good sense of what it, what's involved and what people look for. And so we're now expanding our, our practice to provide these additional legal services and, and sort of corporate services to um, you know, to businesses overseas who are looking to establish business in Australia. And and um, we, we think Sukova right now is a, is a, provides a, a wonderful opportunity. It's difficult for international um, business people to, to travel, to, to come to Australia, yeah. to, to set up themselves. The Australian economy is going uh, to be in a much better position compared to a lot of other OECD countries. Yeah, absolutely. For the next uh, foreseeable future. So, and I think it's a great uh, sort of complementary sort of service for the uh, Arenberg Legal um, Service that we provide. Mm. So, where do you? What sort of regions do you see yourself supporting? Uh, initially, Europe and, and 
and India are probably our sort of our, our first markets that we, we want to be targeting, simply because they represent large and, and well-established business corridors yeah. for business coming into Australia. Um, Asia, I, I would, would love to do that and really allows us to draw on the, our experience in, in Asia. Language becomes a bit of a challenge, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of particularly engaging with our potential client base in, in those jurisdictions, um, getting in front of their their inquiries and their, sort of their, their needs just adds a level of complexity. Um, but certainly at sort of, you know, phase two or phase three, but initially it's going to be sort of Western Europe, it's going to be India. The, these guys are, are looking to expand the business footprint and, and we can help them come into the country. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Well, it certainly sounds like you're grasping the opportunity that's being presented, which is fabulous. So it's just wonderful to see people diversifying, I think, their their career as they come back. And I often talk about reshaping it because trying to just transition like for like, you're coming back into a smaller market. It's so hard. You really have to think outside the square and outside the box. So I can see that's exactly the path you've sort of gone down. <laughs> uh, I think... Um, I know we've we've had a lot of conversations around the, the difficulty of, that we expats have in terms of transitioning back, and that and that mm. the, the real challenge of of trying to match skills and, and roles and responsibilities. I, I suspect sometimes people approach it from the wrong skill set that they're that they're trying to rely on. It's the adaptability. It's the uh, the ability to redeploy your skills in an entirely new environment that people should be focusing on. If if you come back to Australia and try to find a a similar job to what you used to have in in Dubai or New York, what have you, it's going to be a tough sell. It's because it's very, a very difficult. Mm-hmm. But you come back into Australia uh, and you apply the you know, your your flexibility and your adaptability and the, and the creativity and that you've used to be successful overseas, and you're bringing all that experience that you have to to solve the problems that exist in Australia. That's kind of where our strengths are. That's as an expat community. That's where we can really add the value. And where the exciting stuff is, yeah, oh, absolutely. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not. It's not. I think the kind to sort of put into conversation. And it's not to say to somebody you're doing it wrong. No, no. It's it's to say yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it in a new way, and it's a better way. And this is how we're doing it. It's sort of, and and so maybe people need to be more entrepreneurial in the way they they approach opportunities in Australia. Um, yeah, and, and I think people find quite fertile ground in that regard. Yeah, fantastic. Great insights. Great insights. Now we finish all our interviews with five rapid fire questions. So I would love to put those to you now, and it's simply a word or a phrase that comes to mind um, for each one. The first one being living overseas taught me what about myself? Uh, to be adaptable and to, 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 to understand that um, you really need to be ready to, to change and be flexible and to pivot and to be creative and be adaptable because if the game changes, the rules change, the culture, the language, if, you, if you're not willing to be adaptable, you're, you're going to struggle. Number two, um, the number one skill I use from my life overseas is? Problem solving. Ah. Yeah, you, you, you walk into a room, everybody has their own realities, everybody has their own perception of what the problem is, that ability to deconstruct the, the problem down to its constituent parts, understand what's really at the core of the issue and solve that, you can solve the bigger picture. Yeah, problem solving is what it's all about, I think. Excellent. When I feel like I'm back in my adopted country or one of my adopted countries, a dish I eat is? What what tugs at the heartstrings is... Um, the scent of uh, lemongrass on, on a warm evening, that that puts me on, onto the beach in Phuket in an instant. And, uh, oh, fabulous. I, I, I love it. 
absolutely love it. Great. The best part about being home is? Uh, watching, watching our kids become little Aussies. Um, they don't, yeah. haven't quite got an AFL team yet, but I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> but they, yeah, come the next Olympics, they're going to be barking for the green and gold, make no mistake. Yeah, okay, great. And a word, song or quote that best describes my time overseas is? Ah, oh, gee, um, I'm showing my age, I think. Um, talking Heads and uh, Road to Nowhere would have to be the uh, oh, <laughs> journey. We have no idea where we're going. What we're doing. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Oh, Glenn, it's been fabulous chatting with you and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Margaret. Thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, InSyncNetworkGroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.